I invite you to join me in your copy of God's Word. Turn, click, swipe to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews is in the New Testament, a little bit further back, uh, towards the back of your Bible. It's about 13 chapters long. Not about, it is 13 chapters long. It's a letter-like sermon, a sermon-like letter of sorts. We started in the book of Hebrews last year, uh, shortly after Easter time, and uh, worked our way up uh, up to this point, and then took a break for several weeks. And I am delighted to be back in uh, Hebrews uh, as we begin kind of this third rhetorical movement over the course of uh, of this letter. Now, several months ago, when we first started in this series in Hebrews, uh, we noted there that this letter was written to Jewish background believers in the first century, uh, probably in the 60s AD, so maybe about uh, 25 to 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, We noted there also that we're not certain who exactly wrote the letter uh, to the Hebrews. Uh, Some had said for a long time uh, that it was the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote several letters to churches in the course of throughout the New Testament, and uh, many wanting to find a convenient uh, author for Hebrews just attributed it to Paul. But there's much in the grammar, in the language, the writing style, even the style of argumentation in the book of Hebrews that is very, very different from how Paul normally writes to lead us to believe it was probably very likely not Paul. Uh, Others think that it was perhaps Barnabas, that missionary partner of Paul. Still others think maybe Apollos, that great preacher in the city of Corinth in the early days of the church. Still others have thought that maybe it was the gospel writer Luke who wrote Luke and Acts that wrote Hebrews. All of that said, it doesn't really matter so much who wrote Hebrews, but that we have it. And what matters most about Hebrews is the very deep theology, the very deep understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us that is on display in this book. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 is where we'll pick up again today. Now, there are three words said, said in, a, in a certain order that have the power to change the dynamic of any and every relationship once and first said aloud. Those three words are, I love you. Said from any boy to a girl or girl to a boy in a dating relationship, those three words uh, open the door to a, a, a whole bunch of potentialities that were not there before those words were said and which can never really be walked back from. I remember the first time that I said, I love you to my now wife, Nikki, and, uh, and the, the pregnant pause that followed those three words that left my mouth as I waited for what felt like an eternity, but it was probably only just a matter of seconds for her to respond. What would she say? Would she say, I love you too? Would she say, thank you? Would she say, I know, or I'm sorry? Like, You say those words in the context of a dating relationship and and everything changes. You can't walk that back. Like two weeks later, I could not go to Nikki and say, "I, I know that I said I love you, but I didn't mean to say it out loud or I should have said it at another time or I should have waited to say it. Like you just, you can't throw that out there without all of the, everything else that comes with it and, and try to walk it back. When you say I love you to somebody, particularly in the context, right, of a, of a romantic relationship, you are then bearing your, your whole soul before the other person, or at least communicating that. You're communicating a, a, a vulnerability, an, an openness, a, a, a total, a means of total access to every part of your life when you say that to another person. 
Those three words said in that order hold massive implications for that relationship in such a way that the relationship will never be the same moving forward, assuming that it does. In a similar but greater way, God has declared, Scripture says, His love to us. That while we were still sinners, as Paul writes in Romans 5.8, Christ died for us. God's divine, sovereign declaration of love to humanity is in the image of His Son's death on the cross for us. God saying, I love you this way. I love you such that I would give my son to die for you. And we have seen over the course of Hebrews that Jesus, as that Savior who died on the cross for sins, functions as a great high priest for all people, a a perfect mediator between God and man. In such a way that he functions that way, in such a way that, that the relationship between God and humanity can never be the same again. We'll see this main idea from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25 this morning, that Christ's priestly work, His work which changes everything, calls us. There are implications of this. His priestly work calls us to draw near to God, to express confident faith in Him, and to think hard about our living, how we live with and among one another as Christians in the world. Christ's priestly work calls us to draw near to God, express confident faith, and think hard about our living. And as we encounter this truth in the course of Scripture today, I hope that we would come to first delight, have our greatest joy in the privilege that we have in coming to God. And then I hope that we would seek to live in ways and encourage one another to live in ways that demonstrate the transformation that happens when we approach God through Jesus. So if you would, stand with me as you're comfortably able, as we honor God by reading His Word. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. The author of Hebrews and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit continues, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Christ's priestly work calls us to draw near to God, to express confident faith, and to think hard about our living among one another and in the world. Hebrews chapter chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, has one basic underlying premise, one reality, and from it, three implications. That underlying premise, that one reality that we all need to deal with first comes to us in verses 19 through 21, where there the author of Hebrews tells us that we have confident access to God. This is the reality that the author of Hebrews has been explaining for the last several chapters of Hebrews. 
We have a hint there for us at the beginning of verse 19 that the author is speaking about in summary fashion many things. That first word of verse 19, therefore. And you who have uh, maybe grown up or been taught how to read and to study the Bible, you have been taught to, when you see the word therefore, to ask the question, what is the therefore? Therefore. And you know that therefore is a backward pointing word. It points back to an argument, to a statement, to, to something that has just been said before and is now going to speak about the realities that, that come in light of what has just been said. That therefore points us back to the whole context of the book of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews is helpful, not just to point us back, but also to summarize what he has been saying. Therefore, since, in light of the fact that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, the curtain that he opened for us through the curtain that is his, his, uh, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, the author there is summarizing the, the whole argument of Hebrews up to this point. You'll recall that as we began in the letter of Hebrews, we saw first that Jesus, who, who is the focus of this letter, Jesus is the Son of God and the exact imprint of God's nature from Hebrews chapter 1. That He is superior to the angels even. That Jesus is a greater prophet and priest and leader of God's people even than Moses who brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. We saw from chapters 4 through chapter 10, or at least up to this point, this extended argument from the author of Hebrews that Jesus was a great high priest. He's a high priest according to the promise of God. He's an eternal priest, a priest whose priesthood never ends. He's an eternal priest of a greater covenant, that is a greater promise of salvation, a greater uh, means of relationship with God. He's a high priest who inaugurates that covenant, that relationship with God by giving his sinless life in the place of sinners. He's a great high priest who presents himself as the only God-man who can perfectly mediate between the two, between both God and humanity. We saw further that he is, and as the author tells us here in verse 21, a priest over the house of God in which are all those who have placed their confidence, their faith in Jesus. Jesus is a great high priest who brings us confidently into the presence of God. And he does this, as verse 20 tells us, through the curtain, which is his flesh. This is the author of Hebrews' way of saying that Jesus' death is the means by which we enter confidently into the presence of God, into the true holiest place where God dwells in the, in the heavenly places. Friends, this is a fundamental characteristic and fact of Christianity. That God is not high on a mountaintop waiting to receive whoever can manage their way to reach that impossible summit. God does not sit atop Mount Olympus with the pantheon of other gods, beckoning, inviting all those who extend enough effort, find a proper way to come to Him. No, dear friend. The Gospel tells us, Scripture tells us, that God Himself has descended that insurmountable summit in His Son, Jesus, to be God with us, and then to take us to Himself. Therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy places through Jesus, who is the great high priest over the house of God. Dear friend, in light of all that the author of Hebrews says in these first three verses, you need to know this truth. Bury it deep in your heart. In Christ, you have confident access to God. I'll say that one more time for those of you who may have missed it. In Christ, you have confident access to God. 
There's one way to God the Father. It is through Jesus. The, the Son, Jesus, tells us that Himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a very exclusive statement. And it may sound off-putting to, to some, but hear the invitation that is there and the great reality that awaits those who come through Jesus. First of all, there is a way to God. A certain way to God. A living, true, resurrected, life-giving way to God. And it is through Jesus the Son. Know this truth, Christian. Know this truth, dear friend. If you hear nothing else this morning, in Christ, in Jesus, as you place your confidence in Him, you have unprecedented, confident, sure access to God. What a reality. This life-changing reality that in Christ we have access to God has implications. Changes the way that we live. It calls us to do certain things. And the author of Hebrews shows us exactly what those implications are. Beginning in verse 22. Because in Christ you have confident access to God now, draw near. Draw near. Verse 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 22 has the first of three let us invitations. In Greek, these are called subjunctives. They're like collective commands. Let all of us, verse 22, draw near. Now, there are three of these in the the passage that we're looking at this morning. So you may want to take a pen or a pencil and circle or underline those, those two words in the three places they appear, beginning of verse 22, the beginning of verse 23, and the beginning of verse 24. It'll help you as you study this passage again later. First, because we have confident access to God, draw near. This kind of access to our Creator bids us to use it, to come close, to draw near. That phrase, draw near, draw near to God, is used seven times in the course of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews wants us to come close to God. A way has been paved. A door has been opened that was previously closed. And now, with this sort of access to God, the author of Hebrews bids all those who are hearing, whether it's Christians in the first century or Christians today, come on, let's go. God is there. Let's draw near. This concept can be hard, though. Drawing near to God can be difficult to wrap our minds around, especially for those who are afraid or ashamed to come to God. Either afraid because they don't know what sort of judgment may await or ashamed because of the sins of their past or the sins of their present, thinking that God could never love a person like me. When I think about this command, this call to draw near and the things that keep us from doing so, I think about our dog Barney, who I've talked about probably too much from this place, but our dog Barney has lived in our home for several years now. When we first brought him home from the Animal Humane uh, Shelter and brought him into our house, for the first several weeks that we had him, he walked around our house with his head stooped between his shoulders, with his ears back, with his tail between his legs, always looking up at us from underneath his eyelids, just the look of fear and terror on this sweet dog. We don't know what his background was like. We don't know if he came from an abusive home. The the shelter didn't know anything about him. We just knew that he was incredibly sweet in the time that we spent with him there. And we said, well, he's as good a dog as any, so we'll take him home. But for a long period of time, he walked around in fear in our house. We fed him. We cared for him. We, we, we didn't beat him. 
We didn't lock him up in, in rooms or in cages. We tried to kennel him a couple times, but that was a disaster, so we did away with that. But we weren't abusive to him, and yet still he was timid, afraid, terrorized, and coming near to us. There are some of us who have that same disposition when we think about drawing near to God. Whether it's fear or shame, we sometimes approach God this way, waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for the next blow to come. And the author of Hebrews, I think, aware of the fact that it's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging for people to draw near to God, he tells the Hebrews how they can do this. How can they, they can take one step after another in drawing near to their Creator. He says, first, do this, draw near with full assurance of faith. With full assurance of faith. Faith, we know, biblically, is the way to salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul there says to the church in Ephesus that it is by grace, that is by a gift of God, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's not by works so that no one can boast. It's faith in Jesus. I've heard it said said this way, that that faith is is placing confidence, placing our our certainty in something. Faith in Jesus is confidence, is certainty in Christ, the person who died for sins and rose again. Faith in Jesus gives the believer assurance of their ability to draw near. God says, "Your, your salvation is my free gift that you receive by placing your certain faith, your certain confidence in Christ. In Jesus, no longer are sacrifices of lambs or goats or bulls necessary for creating access to God and covering over sins, but rather faith only in the supreme sacrifice, Jesus, the one who died once for all. Drawing near to God is done by means of faith in Christ, a faith that never disappoints, a faith that never deludes, a faith that always assures. Friend, if your certainty, if your confidence is in Christ, you can draw near to God with full assurance of faith. He says then, so if you're afraid to come to God because you don't know how he'll respond, draw near with assurance of faith, certainty in Jesus. But then if you're ashamed to come to God, if you're ashamed of the sins of your past, of the present moral misdeeds of your heart, the, the things that plague your conscience, no, you can draw near to God having your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the author says. Now, to an untrained man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And sometimes, that's a funny joke. To an untrained man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Just picture that in your mind. It's funny. And to a zealous Baptist, sometimes every reference to water looks like baptism. That's funny too. Come on, people. The reference to sprinkling with water and, and, or sprinkling of hearts and washing with pure water that we have here in verse 22 uh, is not a reference to baptism as much as we as Baptists might like it to be. Rather, the author of Hebrews is invoking the kind of imagery and, and language that describes what happened in the temple in Jerusalem uh, when the high priests were offering sacrifices. They would slaughter an animal for the, sac- for the sins of, of a person or for their own sins, and they would take that blood and sprinkle it on the altar, sprinkle it on the people, take it inside to the most holy place on that day of atonement and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant. And then afterward, the priests would come out and they would wash their bodies in a ritual manner to wash off the stain of sin from having done all of these works to provide atonement for the people. They would cleanse themselves publicly. In the same way, the author of Hebrews is saying, when you come to faith in Jesus, 
Jesus, your heart has been sprinkled with the cleansing power of His blood. Your body has been washed. Your your consciences have been purified by the cleansing water of the Holy Spirit. God has washed away every impurity from you if your faith is in Jesus who gave His life for you. There's a call here even back to the, the promise of this uh, the promise of, of, of this cleanliness, the, this cleanness of conscience, even from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, 25, where there God said through his prophet, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. God promising to make his people clean, and promise made full in Jesus. In Christ, dear friend, you have confident access to God, so draw near, come close. Enter his presence. And, as verse 23 says, hold fast. Because you have confident access in God, draw near and hold fast. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The second implication of our access to the presence of God is that we may hold on firmly to the confession of our hope. Now, what is that confession? The author of Hebrews is helpful here to us because we don't have to go very far to find exactly what he's talking about. Just a few chapters earlier in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, as there the author is beginning his his exposition, his explanation of Jesus' work as a great high priest. He says in Hebrews 4, 14, Since then we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. The confession to be held tightly to is that Jesus is just that high priest. He is that very high priest who sympathizes with the weaknesses of humanity, with the temptations, with the frailty, with the struggles that come with being human. But he endured with sinlessness so that he might bring humanity to God. Our confession that we hold fast to, that must never be forgotten nor neglected, is this. Jesus is the Son of God. He is our way to the presence and the person of God. That's the confession we hold fast to because of the confident access we've been given to God. In this way, believers, Christians, are called to hold on to, to anchor their lives to that confession, that profession of our hope, that truth of the gospel without wavering or without faltering. Because the God who promised salvation and access to himself is faithful in Christ to provide that access. Now think about it a moment. Do we confess the hope that we have that Jesus is the Son of God? He's our way to the presence and person of God. Because, do we hold on to that because God will be faithful to make it true? No, dear friend. We hold on to that confession that Jesus, the Son of God, is our way to the presence and person of God because God has already proven that it is true. All of the promises of the Old Testament for a Savior, for a Redeemer, for a Son, for one who would come to rescue God's people and the people of the nations from their sins is all fulfilled in Christ. Paul says that every promise of God has its yes and amen in Jesus. Believers do not hold fast to the confession that Jesus is the Christ because or in hopes that God will be faithful. We hold fast to that confession because God has been faithful already. 
Mercy. We have confident access to God in Christ. So, dear friend, draw near. Come close. Come into the presence of God with assurance and a clean heart. And hold fast to the confession that got you there, that Jesus is the one who makes the way possible. And finally, from verses 24 and 25, think hard. Think hard. Let us consider, our author says, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This final call to action, this final let us passage, based on our access to God in Christ, this final call is to consider, to think hard, to, to give significant thought. To what? Well, specifically, to how we ought to stir up one another to love and good works. Your translations may spur one another on to love and good, good works. Maybe even provoke one another to love and good deeds. These two things, love and, and good deeds, are those actions, those efforts that display that, that they're the fruit of a heart that has already been changed by the access given it by God. This truth remains, you cannot come to God unless your heart has been fundamentally changed by Christ. Verse 22 says that by faith in Jesus, we have so been changed. We've given a true heart with full assurance of a clean conscience. This is what Jesus means when he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that he must be born again. His whole life has to change. Everything about who he is, his disposition, his, his desires, uh, the pattern of his life must be made new. He must be born again. And being born again is not a thing that someone can do to him or herself. It's a thing that must happen to us from divine origin. We receive the new birth. God works new birth in us as we place our confident faith in Jesus. Friend, you cannot be in the presence of the truly loving, all good person of God without being changed by him to live in ways that reflect his glory and his character in the world. So as you are born again by faith in Jesus, and as God and the Son both give the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in you, you are being changed. You are being made new. You are being made to display the character, the person, the qualities of God in the world. So, the author of Hebrews says, because of that wonderful access we've been given to God through Jesus, let's think hard about how we push one another, press one another, exhort one another to love and good deeds, the kinds of things that reflect the God that we have encountered. Amen. Encouragement to love and good deeds, our author notes for us, does not and cannot happen from a distance. We do not draw near to God in order to draw apart from one another. As people draw near to God, we would find that as we're all heading to the one same person, we're also drawing near to one another, aren't we? Encouragement to love and good deeds, exhortation, provoking to love and good deeds happens as believers, as Christians assemble, as they come together, as they gather. So the implication is, church, gather, get together. Now, apparently, according to verse 25, even in the author's, uh, author of Hebrews' own day, there were some who had been, uh, who'd begun to make it a habit of forsaking or neglecting the gathering of the church. We don't know why they were neglecting to gather, why they were neglecting to come together with the church. My guess is their excuses, their reasons were some of the same ones that we use today. I got something better to do. I'm just fine following Jesus on my own. 
I don't need to be in the presence of other Christians. I'll just watch my favorite pastor on TV. Whatever the reasons were, the author of Hebrews is sure to say that one cannot draw near to God and draw away from others, that encouragement happens as we gather. And gathering, he says, will become all the more important as the final day of the Lord approaches. Not neglecting to meet together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more. As you see the day drawing near, that day that he's referring to, I believe is the final day of this age where Christ will return as king over the cosmos to rule and reign over all things, to call the church to himself, to usher them into the eternal state, to the new heavens and the new earth, to judge the living and the dead in righteousness for all time. But until that day, worldly sinfulness and evil will increase. And so the author of Hebrews encourages his readers and us today that love and good works in the name of Jesus will be all the more necessary for discerning who is a true follower of Jesus and who is a false brother. Let us think hard about how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet, but encouraging all the more as we see the day drawing near. Now in a day in which Political conspiracy theories and unbiblical worldviews, claims to secret knowledge abound. There are lots of things to distract us from doing what the author of Hebrews has called us to do. When you gather as Christians, whether it's here in corporate worship, whether it's in a small group Bible study or one of the grow groups that we have on Wednesday nights, or or whether it's just in an individual one-on-one kind of discipling relationship, when you come together to talk about life together, what's the content of your discussion? Is it, is it are, are you easily distracted by the things of the world or are you laser focused on the things of God? Let's be honest. Sometimes it's a whole lot easier to talk about whatever's going on in the world or whatever's going on in our personal lives or at home or at work than it is to talk about Christ. And in a world, as I said, full of political conspiracy theories and unbiblical worldviews, claims to secret knowledge, there's, there's a whole lot of things to distract our, uh, our discussions when we come together. So when you gather, what, what characterizes your discussion, your conversation as believers, especially together? Is it the latest unfounded QAnon election theft assertion? Or is it the unfailing word of Christ? Is it the blanket assertions of unfettered racism in every aspect of our society? Or is it the gospel of Jesus that destroys the walls of ethnic separation and segregation? Is it reveling in the latest NFL trade or your favorite team's newest draft pick? Or are you glorying in the reality that we have access to approach the eternal God of the universe with unhindered assurance because of our untainted faith in Jesus, His Son? Dear friends, there is nothing better for Christians to discuss. There is no surer foundation for every other conversation that we have than the unfailing Word of God. Let's start there. Let's encourage one another from God's word. Let's encourage one another not to hatefulness and and despising and reviling, but to love. Let's encourage one another not to actions of, of discord and rebellion and disobedience, but to encourage one another to good works, to show the world what a life changed by Christ, changed by access to God, looks like. The author of Hebrews has said, dear friend, this is a true reality. This is a real thing for you. You have confident access to God through Christ. And because Jesus 
brings us with full confidence to God, dear friend, everything is changed. Everything is different. Now, let us live like it. Great truths always come with implications. Great assertions, strong assertions, declarations of love come with implications for relationship. God's declaration of love to us in Christ as he gives his life for sinners calls us to have our lives changed by coming into the presence of God through faith in Christ. But it doesn't stop there, friend. That great reality that we have confident access to God changes everything that we do. It it, it dramatically transforms the very pattern of our life. It calls us to come close to God who was once far away because of our sin, but now who is near to us because of his son. It calls us to hold fast to our confession of hope that Jesus is the Christ who died for our sins. It calls us to a a, a confession that is to be the anchor of our lives, not because we, we hope that one day it will be true, but we have hope for tomorrow because we know that it is true. And likewise, to live in ways that show we've really been changed by it. It starts in the household of faith as we gather together in worship, in smaller groups throughout the week, to open God's word, and to encourage one another, exhort one another, spur one another on, stir one another up to Christ-like love and good deeds that display what a heart changed by Christ looks like. What a wonderful reality that we have in Jesus. What, What amazing implications this has for our lives. Dear friend, I understand that you may be here this morning and you've not yet stepped into a relationship of confident access with God in all the ways we've been discussing this morning, let me say to you that the same way that all of us as Christians have come into that relationship is open to you also. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave His sinless life on the cross to pay the full penalty for your sins and mine. He was raised from the dead by the power of God to be victorious over sin and death. Sin and death in the world and and to be victorious over sin and death in your life and in your heart. He was raised from the dead to change you from the inside out. to, To not just give you hope for eternal life after this one, but also to give you abundant spiritual life in the presence of God today. The reality of confident access to God is open to you, is possible to you, if you'll only place your certain confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. Turning from your sinfulness, turning from yourself, leaving behind all the things that have separated you from God and coming simply to Jesus with all that you have and all that you are and saying, Jesus, clean me up. Fix my life. Bring me to the Father. I can't do it apart from you. Friend, if you long for access to God this way and already you feel the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart, calling you to to trust Jesus like this so your life can be changed, transformed to look like what we've seen in Scripture today. Don't leave this morning without letting me know. A few moments as we dismiss, I'll be standing outside to to greet you as you go. Pull me aside. Take me aside. I'd be more than happy to take as much time as we need this morning to speak with you about how you can have confident assurance of your salvation of your relationship with God, and of all of the wonderful transformation that you can look forward to as an individual as you follow Jesus. Friend, let me know of your faith in Christ. And dear Christian, 
as you leave from this place, leave with joy. Leave with delight in the reality that you have been given access to God. Delight in the reality that everything has changed. And now, leave from this place committed to live like it.